This episode of Converge is brought to you by Republic. Republic lets anybody, anywhere in the world, invest in promising new startups with as little as $10. You may have that in your wallet right now. Go on over to republic.co and you can help crowdfund a startup becoming an angel investor in your own right. Go check it out at republic.co. Hello and welcome to Converge, a tech podcast about the business of comedy and a comedy podcast about the business of tech. But is it also a business podcast about the comedy of tech? Well, one thing is for certain. My name is Casey Newton. I'm Silicon Valley editor of The Verge and strap into your podcast chairs, gang, because today's episode goes to a place we have never before gone. My guest today is Tiffany Ashley Bell. She's the founder of The Human Utility. You know, a year and a half ago or so, I was working on a story about a nonprofit called the American Civil Liberties Union, which had recently joined a prestigious tech accelerator called Y Combinator. You may know YC already. We've had YC founders on the show before, like Mathilde Collin from Front. Well, something that is not as well known is that YC actually accepts some nonprofits, including the ACLU. And when I wanted to find out more about that, I got in touch with Tiffany. She was one of the first nonprofits to go through YC, and her startup at the time was called the Detroit Water Project. And what the Detroit Water Project did was very simple, but it made a big difference for the people it helped. Tiffany and her team found people in Detroit whose water had been shut off because they couldn't afford to pay, and the Detroit Water Project just paid their water bills so they could get their service returned. Tiffany believes that water is a human right and that in a big, rich country like America, it's insane that some people are struggling just to be able to take a shower in the morning. So since YC, Tiffany has expanded to Baltimore and renamed her startup to The Human Utility, and they're doing the same thing that they were doing in Detroit. They are raising money to pay people's water bills and do it in a scalable, sustainable way using tech. So I hope you enjoy hearing about a different side of the tech industry this week. And if you don't, I promise we will return to cutthroat capitalism on next week's episode. But let's not get ahead of ourselves because it is now time to play Converge. It's time for another game of Converge. Each week, we bring on some of Silicon Valley's most fascinating personalities, and they compete to see how high they can go on the all-time Converge leaderboard. My guest today is Tiffany Ashley Bell, founder of The Human Utility, a tech-powered nonprofit that is providing assistance to families in need of access to water. The Human Utility began life as the Detroit Water Project, which was one of the first nonprofits to be accepted to the prestigious Y Combinator Startup Accelerator. Tiffany, are you ready to play America's favorite nonprofit game show, Converge? I am. Let's go. Awesome. <laughs> Let's get started. Converge consists of three rounds, the big idea, the interview round, and the wild card round, and it's time to get started. The first game we play on every episode of Converge is The Big Idea. Tiffany, I asked you ahead of time to bring in your biggest and best idea of a non-self-promotional nature, and we pick it apart and see what's inside. Points are awarded on the basis of originality, presentation, profit potential, and whether I personally agree with it. Tiffany, what's your big idea? My big idea is that uh, tech should be using more of its influence and money to actually do things for everyday people rather than creating this sort of futuristic place in San Francisco. But like everyday people are kind of left out. That's right. 
So there's this there's this thing that happens where because so many so much of the talent in Silicon Valley is concentrated in this very like narrow geographic area, uh, the people who come here start working on problems for each other, and it's maybe sort of harder for them to see outside of that that bubble. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. How does this like manifest? Like where do you see it where it irks you? Um, I think about things like our favorite billionaires not knowing how to spend their money other than just things that I feel like are personally enriching to them, but like everyday people can't afford to ride BART or like get to work or they work jobs where you hear about people having to use the bathroom in like cans because they can't go to the bathroom because they have to worry about like quotas and things like that. That's kind of where I am. It's like if you have all this power, you influence Congress, you do this, that, and the third, you buy presidents, like why not like <laughs> spend this kind of money on just everyday problems like Instead hunger of, like, or homelessness, yeah. you know. Instead of like say space exploration yeah. or or some of these other things that we see these uh, tech billionaires spending on, which you know, which may be interesting, but yeah. as you say, um, it, it can sometimes feel like they have more money than they know what to do with. Exactly. Well, so like let's sketch out an alternative vision. Like let's say that the the most influential and wealthiest people in tech were like, you know what, Tiffany, you're totally right. Like where would be some good places for them to start? So I think about like in their own backyard, like there's homeless people. You go down Market Street and you're stepping on A, needles, pee, poop, people. Um, It's kind of like these are things that you could actually fix, especially if you think about like, let's just say certain VCs using their uh, influence to change laws around housing, for example. Like, why not? take some of this land that you have zoned for like laundromats and parking lots. Why not take that and like actually build some homeless shelters or whatever that maybe they're a skyscraper full of like people that are experiencing homeless and whatnot, homelessness or whatnot. So, yeah, I think you it's, know. it's such an interesting question. Um, as somebody who lives in San Francisco, housing is an issue that's very important to me. But increasingly, I feel like if you live in any city, you should pay attention to what's happening in San Francisco because mm. you're starting to see it everywhere. I mean, the homelessness issue that, that San Francisco has struggled with for for decades now, you know, I go visit my parents in Orange County in Southern California. I see it there. I went up to report a story in Portland last year. I see it there. It seems like in every city, people are realizing that if they prevent more homes from being built, the value of their home goes up. Oh, and yeah. so they're using every tool they have to stop new homes from being built. Yeah, that's and, true. And yet at the same time, and, and San Francisco actually does have one billionaire who I feel like really has put his money where his mouth is and Mark Benioff, right, exactly. who has spent a lot of time and energy on, on a range of issues that are really important to the city. But it is notable to me that, and, and I don't know. He stands out as a kind of only one, basically, yes. that you hear vocal about it. That like you know he's not ashamed of saying we should be doing better, right? You know? And yet it seems like this this is one particular issue where maybe he hasn't been able to make a big difference. You know, something that Benioff does is when he started Salesforce.com, which is sort of where he made his his billions. Uh, he set aside one percent of the equity in the company for a nonprofit, sort of set up a foundation. Do you like that model, or like are there other models that you see um, would be good for young founders to pursue as they're starting companies, but maybe kind of want to have nonprofit issues in mind? Yeah, I like that model a lot because it, it, especially if you like actually take it seriously, it actually like says, I mean this, I'm taking 1% of whatever I have and like giving that to charity or whatever the actual cause is, because it's easy to kind of like wait till you're asked or whatever, or just like presenting with something. But if you start from the beginning, it's kind of like the, we talk about diversity in tech too, and like culture things. If you don't start from the beginning, it's kind of hard to be like, oh, I'll do it later. Cause then you're starting to do the math or whatever. And you're like, oh, 1% of, hmm. <laughs> versus like, if you didn't have anything, you just say, okay, I already pledged that. It's kind of like money in the pot already if you play poker. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, it, it does seem like we've seen some founders step up after the fact and take that, the, like the Warren Buffett giving pledge. Like I think the Airbnb founders like have, have pledged to give away all their money. Or um, I know uh, like Duskin Moskowitz uh, from Asana like sort of pledged to do the same thing. Um, he was, of course, a co-founder of Facebook. So you, you're starting to see some of those green shoots. But it sounds like you're, you're talking about a broader problem, though, which is that you know, like set aside the billionaires, you also just sort of have the everyday people coming here who mm-hmm. want to start companies and the problems that they're choosing often are going after a, a fairly niche elite. Like I think of this whenever I uh, use Postmates, which is I've literally done it twice because you go to have a pizza delivered to your house. And, you know, by the time they tack on the fees and the surge surcharges and you add a tip, you spent like 50 or $60 to get two pizzas delivered to your house. Those are real numbers, by mm-hmm. the way. Yeah, they are. Um, and I'm just like, I'm using this and, you know, I'm fortunate to have a, a job that takes good care of me. But I think paying $60 for two pizzas to come to my house seems like one, a, a super high price. And two, like how many people in America can really pay for this. So like is is the disconnect just that the that the capitalists are going after where the money is and so they're not spending as much time thinking about, you know, how could we make a broader impact? Um, I think that's part of it. And I just think there's especially if you think about ideas that generate that start here, like it's a disconnection that people have from everyday life. Like I think about I love Amazon Prime now as far as like having your groceries brought to your house, but you think about how how effective that would be somewhere else. Like you think about like just but where I'm from in North Carolina, for example, like you have actual families with kids that you see and like that sort of thing. And like it would be great to have that run there, like in, you know, Fayetteville, North Carolina, and just talk about like, you know, people having someone bring your groceries and then you do something else with your day versus like 30 somethings who don't want to leave the house sometimes, which I admit I've done it too, but it's just kind of like, is that the best possible place for it to be? But I mean, you think about like the VC model and that doesn't really apply with Amazon anymore, but just like that whole you know, your margin is my opportunity thing with that Bezos goes after. Um, that's kind of part of that. So, right. And I, I, the other side of just the Postmates thing, too, that's kind of messy sometimes is just the treatment of the people that bring you the stuff, basically. Like, they're out and, you know, they don't have any sort of health insurance. They don't have any sort of coverage otherwise. Um, and you even kind of wonder, like, if you spend 60 bucks for the pizza, how much do they actually get or whatever? Was it worth it for them? And so sometimes you see it as probably not. So it's just like, that's mm, kind of a weird business model in that way. It's a it's a really important question and something that like I want you to make me wrestle with more because I'm somebody who does not enjoy going to the grocery store at all. Me and neither. <laughs> <laughs> me neither. It's yeah. the lines. Yeah, and, and Instacart came along and they said, I think at the time it was something like pay us like less than $100 a year. And if you order more than $35 worth of groceries – We'll bring groceries to your house. And I thought, well, that's dynamite, right? So I did it. And I would like to think that I'm creating opportunities for the people who want to work at Instacart and, and make money. But as you point out, I'm actually not in a good position to know you know, how well are those workers being treated? Do they really have opportunities? Or am I kind of helping to like trap them um, at, at a level below their, their full earning potential? Mm, to some degree. I think um, not that you have to feel guilty about it necessarily, but just kind of being aware of the economics of it because it's not sustainable as far as like having all these people that deliver all this stuff. And you start hearing stories about like wages with that being pushed down. There's no like consistency with it. They start switching, you know, schedules and how often you're called and stuff like that. It's a real exploitative sort of thing. And we get to say like, oh, yeah, it's exciting. We can't go to the grocery store. But you're also if you're if you're like honest about it, you think about that side of it. Yeah. 
So we need we need to reckon with that more. Right. Um, and it sounds like maybe you'd like us to reckon maybe more with nonprofits in our lives and and whether we're paying enough attention to those. Which yeah. I have to say, it gets a little into the realm of a self promotional idea, but I still think it's interesting. <laughs> so I want to hear about it. <laughs> yeah, totally. No, I mean, I just think about like you know sometimes how the nonprofit sector is doing a lot of the work that government should be doing. Actually, like even the work I do with water and like you know, there's all these things that. Or we think about like the the crisis now with kids, you know, at the border and stuff like that. That's something that the government actually shouldn't be doing. But we we get into that realm of like picking up the slack the government has, and there's a lot of that in the nonprofit sector. And I think, especially here, like people have a lot of. If you're not delivering groceries, I mean, if you're not like getting your groceries at the grocery store yourself, you have a lot of free time. So you could probably like volunteer or something like that. You know, I think about we're a tech driven nonprofit, but some of the stuff that we've done, like people think we discovered fire a little bit with just like having a nice website and i don't say that to be like you know sort of look at us but like you think about all this tech talent here go to your like you know closest nonprofit and like volunteer your development talent or something like that because they would love to have like something that makes them look a lot better as far as the work they do so that's one easy way for a lot of people here to get involved i like that and i also like the challenge of when you look at the the services that you a person in the tech industry use to save time and then ask yourself what are you doing with that time and then ask yourself if any of that time is helping anybody else yeah that seems like kind of like a good like two-part exercise that people listening to this show could go through yeah totally and it's not even that hard you don't have to dedicate a whole another eight hours a day to to volunteering or anything like that it's just two hours would help somebody yeah that's fantastic if you heard that sound that's the end of the big idea round tiffany it is now time to score your idea okay awesome (laughs) (laughs) very good Originality. Well, look, I will be honest. I have heard other people say before that tech billionaires may not always have the right priorities. So I'm going to give you a six there. Presentation, though. I love when you sort of came in with that challenge at the end and gave uh, everyone listening to this some really practical ideas about what they can do about this disconnect between tech and the wider world. So I'm giving you a nine there. Profit potential. Now, I'm going to be honest. This was always going to be a hard category for you. Believe it or not, we do score every big idea along this rubric but you've chosen your path and I respect it. I'm going to give it a three only because I do think that um, there are plenty of companies out there that have set aside equity and put them into foundations and have become very successful. And Mark Benioff would tell you that it's actually a huge part of their success. Finally, do I agree with it? Well, that's an obvious 10 because um, I think it's very clear (laughs) that the tech industry could pay a little bit more attention to the world around it. So we'll add up those scores. And I am happy to say, Tiffany, you have earned 28 points in the first round, which puts you in incredible position heading into the interview round. Woohoo, let's go. Now we come to the interview round, the round where you will charm our listeners in a way that burnishes your personal brand and improves your standing as a thought leader. Tiffany, you could uh, have done uh, a lot of things, it seems like, after you learned how to code. Um, and instead, you started uh, a nonprofit, which is now called The Human Utility. For people who have not interacted with it yet, tell us a little bit about uh, what you do. Yeah, so The Human Utility, we basically pay water bills for people that can't afford their own. That's like the short, simple, non-here's-what-else-is-actually-happening really sort of answer. I started that in 2014 after reading about in The Atlantic how people in Detroit were about to have to live without running water because they couldn't afford the bill. Um, And like at that time, it was probably 30,000 households in Detroit that had that going on. And 
a lot of it was they literally couldn't afford the bill. We've spoken to people where they didn't have any furniture in their house, and so they're obviously not like skimping and paying for other stuff. But like that's kind of how people are living in the United States, even, which is crazy. Right, and they were just broke, and so you had the idea. We will fundraise. We will make this money available to these people, and we will uh, be able to create kind of a whole nonprofit around it. So I want to talk a lot more about that. But first, I want to hear a little bit more about your background, because you were a Code for America fellow, right? Yeah. And I would like to hear about Code for America, because Code for America is a nonprofit uh, that sort of brings in smart people to do work for the government. Is that sort of right? Or there's an interaction? Yeah. Yes. I think they've changed their model a little bit. But we had the fellowship back when I was there in 2014. And it's a team of three people that go into different cities. And we pick on a certain problem that the city had that they thought could be solved through tech. So it's usually like some service delivery sort of thing. So in Atlanta, the team worked on a couple of things. Um, one, which was most successful, is uh, a court text messaging app because people weren't getting their court dates in Atlanta. So you get a ticket in Atlanta for anything. So if you have a, a headlight out, you have to go to court over that. But people were missing the court deadline. So we had like, I think there was a city council person that had gotten arrested even because they didn't know when they were supposed to show up to court. <laughs> so like they built that out and then like... Um, that's actually still running, I believe, in the city. So that was a cool thing. But, and that was something you were able to work on? Uh, yeah. 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 Totally. So. Um, and so you are, you're a computer programmer. Yes. Tell us a little bit how you got into code. Um, so I've been coding since I was six, <laughs> off and on, actually. And like, I don't say that as like a brag thing. Cause like you nothing. Should. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So nothing I'm, I've built when I was six is still running anywhere. But like, <laughs> it was kind of an accident. Like, my mom bought me this thing from VTech called the Pre Computer 1000. Mm-hmm. And, like, it had games and stuff on it, but I kind of got tired of the repetitive hangman words or whatever. (laughs) So, like, the user manual, and I I was a six-year-old that read user manuals, but, like, it had, like, it had, like, um, a QBasic tutorial in the the manual at the end of it. So I just kind of, like, sat around and, like, built stuff off of that, and that's kind of where it came from. But I actually wanted to be a cartoonist. And so, like, I didn't, there was nobody in my family up until later that kind of knew what this was about. So I just kind of did things without any sort of guidance for a while. It does seem like there's a, there's an interesting relationship between art and code, right? Like they're yep. both these sort of like creative processes and you run into these obstacles and there are like some constraints that are put around you that maybe enable your creativity. H- have you like kept up with the, the art at all or did you let that go? I let that go in college. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, I was a computer science major at Howard and when I got there, I... Um, I had to learn how to balance my time better, so I couldn't like draw and then go to class and all that sort of stuff. So, right. And especially in high school, I spent most of my time drawing in class versus like college. It's a little harder to do all that. So you do Code for America, and you start uh, the Detroit Water Project, which was sort of then becomes the the human utility. And um, when you went through Y Combinator, they they had they only just started accepting nonprofits, right? Or you were sort of relatively early in that process. Um. So they've been I think since twenty twelve. I know Watsy was the first one. Okay. So there was a few before us. Yeah. Yeah. And when we think of Y Combinator, um, we've actually had a lot of guests who've gone on Y Combinator. And for me, it's a really great filter because Y Combinator is good at finding like very talented people. And so usually by the time they get through with that, they have an interesting idea to talk about with, with somebody like me. Um, and uh, I sort of uh, ran into your work through that similar fashion. But I would love to know, what's it like going through this accelerator that was maybe designed to help these 
for-profit companies get off the ground as a non-profit. That must be a very different experience. No, it's actually a similar experience until the very end. I would say demo day. <laughs> like the VCs are not there to see you, but like, um, or at least most of them are not. But the thing that's great about YC is they have a focus on metrics all the time, and so that's something that I think the nonprofit sector could totally benefit more from because there's of course the hand wavy like pull at your heartstrings sort of way of like the storytelling but operational wise like you need to be able to talk about your impact and that sort of thing and just like a lot of major donors for example like focus on you know if I give you a million dollars how much of that is actually going to like actually impact people and like going through YC you end up having this really like strong metrics focused sort of approach and like I feel like anytime I deviate from that like as in not paying attention to numbers like things kind of fall off a little bit so it's nice to just be able to like have a whiteboard with all your donation metrics and stuff like that on it and so I kind of got that from there right so you you sort of mentioned earlier that you have brought tech into what you do and I would love to hear about that because some people might hear about the human utility and uh, you know it sounds like you're you're giving away money all the time Time, like, which is great, but like, 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 where, where is the tech inside that, or like, what, what kind of tech sort of helps you uh, expand that to more people? Yeah, I mean, so the donation part is just we wrote our own crowdfunding platform, which kind of just like it was a result of how we first started collecting donations. It was all pledges in a Google spreadsheet, but um, we just kind of migrated all that stuff to Stripe, and then. But I think the more interesting part is just like our our case management system for people. When you apply, um, you apply through the website, and then. We kind of like need, of course, like documentation of your case or whatever. So we'll have you like text us pictures of your ID and your documentation, like your your lease and things like that. Which, since we're not like physically in the cities that we help in, it allows people to be able to apply without having to go somewhere or like worry about like you have to mail this and that kind of thing. And so it, it actually makes the whole application process a lot easier. I think that's like that's one of my favorite pieces, at least. Like, right. And you say you've talked to other nonprofits, and this sort of thing is like very attractive to them. Have you been able to sort of work with other nonprofits and at least point them in the direction? of building similar tech or not entirely because yeah. I mean a lot of it's homegrown stuff and you need like an actual person on your team to like maintain most of it I mean right. but there's really good like software out there already it's just that we kind of started different so I kind of like just kept things going in that way but uh, yeah so you guys have been up and running now for roughly four years or you started four years ago uh, how many folks have you been able to help or like kind of give me some sense of of the scale and of expanding to a, a kind of second city and what's been involved in that yeah I mean so we've helped at least a thousand families at this point but the scale of the problem is such that there's probably like at least 14 million families in the United States that have issues around water affordability or some other utility. So I think we, I really want to do more than that. Yeah. But. One of my big questions was, you know, is for, for people who are having trouble keeping the, the water bill paid, is it a one-time thing where you help them out once and they're sort of, you know, able to, to figure out at next time or do they need ongoing support or, or is it a mix and, and kind of how do you how do you approach that? And is there a difference between what you're doing and maybe some of the ideas that other people have around a universal basic income and like, hey, let's just give everybody a flat amount every month and cover some of these really basic needs? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so for most people, it's a one-time donation thing because like sometimes they'll have like a pipe that'll burst or something and they just need like that one sort of block of 500 bucks to get past the shock of that bill or whatever. But for some people, it is an ongoing thing. Like, we have a lot of people who they are, you know, unemployed because they're really sick or something like that. We've got a lot of, like, cancer patients that we support indefinitely, kind of, because if you're going through chemo and you have stomach cancer, you're not going to work. And the water company, unfortunately, in Detroit does not, like, have a program 
for dealing with cases like that. So we kind of step in and just keep paying the bills in those moments. What's a, what's like the average size of the bill that you pay for people? So the average size is anywhere from like five to six hundred dollars. Like, and so it's funny because like when I see something less than that, I'm like, oh, this is nothing. But like, it's still a huge bill compared to like most places. So. Right, and of course, if you're not working, I mean, five hundred dollars yeah. is an incredible amount. And I've I've read uh, before that the majority of American families are not prepared for a five hundred dollar emergency that no, they didn't see coming. They're not. They're right. Not. It's so funny talking to you because you were sort of saying earlier that it's like nonprofits like are just doing things that the government should do. And it's yeah. Like, it's, <laughs> On some levels, it's, yes. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just hard to hear about the majority of of Americans not being able to afford a single emergency and a nonprofit sort of you know having to come in and pay the water bill. Yeah. What is it? What's your relationship like with the the Detroit uh, water people? Like, what do they think about you? It depends on who you talk to. There are some people that are in the hierarchy who don't care for us because I think when we first started, we shamed them a little bit, and that wasn't the intention. But they just they weren't offering help to people, so we kind of stepped up and said, "We'll help them." But like. A spokesperson, when we first launched, got in The Guardian and told people not to come to us for help or whatever. When I confronted him, or I tried to, he had retired by the time that that happened. So he kind of Tiffany, just... I would retire too if I had said that about your company. <laughs> right. That's insane. <laughs> yeah, he just kind of dumped on us and then retired, oh, literally. Come on. You know, so it, it depends on who you talk to. Because, like, again, the frontline staff, when I show up in Detroit and pay bills, they tell me kind of everything. And then some of the higher-ups, they're not exactly a fan of us. Because I think we get in the way of certain, like, contracts they have for shutoffs and stuff like that. Mm. And we kind of don't allow the narrative that they have about people to kind of go on where people just don't want to pay and that kind of thing. It's like, well, we kind of have shown and seen that they don't really have the money, so you can't keep saying that about people. So... That's kind of how that is. Right. Talk, talk to me about expanding to, to Baltimore. Like, how did you choose that for your next city, and how's that gone so far? Yeah, I mean, so we chose that during YC because their whole thing is about, like, scale and impact. So we expanded to Baltimore back in 2015. And that's been interesting because, like, it's, it's the same kinds of problems as in Detroit, but a little different because people used to be able to leave, lose their houses over their water bills, in both in Detroit and Baltimore. But Baltimore was way more like consistent about doing that kind of thing. So if you don't pay the bill, they tack it on your property taxes and then sell it from under you, basically. So we, oh. there are people that had lost their house and their family for 30-something years over a $300 water bill, or $360 water bill. And so the new mayor they had, Mayor Pugh, stopped that kind of thing. But it's still something that people have difficulty with paying the bills there. Right. Uh, is it the sort of uh, nonprofit that you would eventually like to see in every city? Or like, how do you think about the, the, the bigger vision or the 10-year vision? Yeah, I mean, so one of the things that we're working on now, and you mentioned this kind of before, the universal basic income stuff, is like launching a program to kind of pilot um, income-based water affordability programs. Because one of the things that people in Detroit, at least, that I keep saying, people do want to pay their own bills. They don't want to be dependent on people, but like they have to be able to pay something that makes sense for what they have. So if you're only getting like a $700 disability check, you can't pay a water bill that's 100 bucks. That's like literally a seventh of what you're getting. But the water companies don't seem to really understand that because their thing is not like customer understanding. It's just like you owe us money. So we're trying to pilot something where we take... Uh, a thousand families, for example, and just say, like, for a year, if you make certain, you know, certain kinds of income within, like, the poverty lines or whatever, you pay this percentage of your income each year towards your water bill. And then we subsidize the rest of it. And so the goal with that then is perhaps to use that to advocate for actual, like, government backed water affordability programs or whatnot. Because again, people are paying bills that they shouldn't theoretically, because, like, again, if you're just getting, like, 
disability and that's your only source of income. You have to pay rent and eat and get around sometimes otherwise. But like once that happens, you have very little left for anything else. And so it shouldn't be like that. Yeah. I, I just think this project is so cool. And talking to you about it makes me realize the degree to which I myself just take for granted my ability to turn on a faucet and see water there or, or flush a toilet. And to think, as you, you said, there are 14 million people in America who right now, you know, maybe have some issues around ongoing access to water. Right. And yeah, that does put billionaire space exploration into uh, perspective. Yeah, totally. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe just as a last question, I'm curious, like, you know, you you sort of, uh, we were talking before the show started about how maybe sometimes people look at you funny when you say you're building a nonprofit in Silicon Valley, but there are other nonprofits around here. And I just wonder if it feels like there's more of a community now than there has been, or do you see sort of any positive momentum in that direction? Or is it just kind of like a, a crazy band of rebels who uh, maybe sees each other in passing, but are all kind of doing their own thing. No, I think we have a good community. I think we need to probably need to get together more. But there's a lot of people I think about. Like um, I just name off a few people. Yeah. Like there's Kimberly Bryant with Black Girls Code. There's Kia down in the South Bay. She runs a, an organization called Serum that redistributes uh, medication. That's Right before it's expired, I think. There's, of course, Watsi. There's a whole bunch of people that are doing stuff. And so I think we are the odd people out, kind of. But it's I don't know how to describe it other than, like, it's just your calling, kind of. I was just going to say that it, it sounds a little punk rock to me to, you know, wander into the heart of the the money-raising beast of Silicon Valley and say, you know, actually, we're going to, like, take all y'all's money and we're going to give it away to people who need it more than you do. Yeah, yeah. totally. I mean, I my, my thing with all the money around here is, like, you'll never be able to spend all of it. So, A, why hoard it? And then, like, people need the resources. And so, you think, I think about the average, like, donation that we get from certain people. Like, that that's a rounding error for them. It's like, I wouldn't call it pocket change, but just, like, scale-wise, that's what it is for people. So, it's like, you're, you're not going to lose anything by giving to charity. And there's some great ones, so. Absolutely. Daddy, it's time for the lightning round. Well, if you heard that sound... It's time for the lightning round, Woo-hoo. which I'm excited about. So, of course, in the lightning round, we put 60 seconds on the clock. You try to answer as many questions as you can. You can pass on any question if you like, but you will not receive a point for that question should you choose to do so. And I know what you're thinking. Has anyone ever passed on a question? And yeah, it's happened once or twice. Okay. So, you know that now. <laughs> All right. Let's put 60 seconds on the clock. Tiffany, what's your favorite body of water? Um, Lake Merritt, I'll say. What's the most fun thing to do in Detroit? I like going going to the museums there, Henry Ford. Hmm. What about Baltimore? I like eating when I go there. It's a little seafood. So <laughs> Hint water or LaCroix? Uh, tap water, neither. Mm, all right. <laughs> What's a big secret that you've never told anyone that if they knew you were going to reveal it here, they would download this episode and rate the show five stars on Apple Podcasts? Um, I'll pass. Great. Okay. What's something <laughs> that should definitely be on the blockchain? Um, let's see. Adoptions. Mm. Have you ever ridden a scooter around uh, San Francisco or Oakland? No. Okay. Stepped over them, though. (laughs) (laughs) What's the last show you finished on Netflix? Um, Evil Genius. What's another good nonprofit more people should know about? Serum. And is Westworld a good show? I've never watched it. And that's our time. (laughs) All right. (laughs) (laughs) Tiffany, congratulations. You scored nine points in the lightning round. 
Hey, it's time for another real advertisement because today's episode of Converge is brought to you by Republic. Republic lets anybody anywhere in the world invest in promising new startups with as little as $10. It is a crowdfunding platform for startups, and if you go there, you too can become an angel investor. Did you know that on Republic, 45% of funds raised in 2017 went to female-founded companies and 25% went to African-American-founded companies? For the rest of the VC world, it was 12% female-founded companies and 2% African-American-founded companies. So if you want to invest in a different kind of startup, head on over to republic.co. And with that, we come to the wildcard round. Now, in the wildcard round, we reach into the Convergitron 5000 to play a game generated by some of the world's most sophisticated algorithms. Earlier today, we selected Profit Nonprofit. Now, in Profit Nonprofit, we see before us two decks of cards. One deck has the names of famous for-profit companies, such as AT&T. The other contains the names of famous non-profit organizations, such as the United Way. You will select one card from the for-profit deck and tell me how you would take this company non-profit. Your answers will be judged on originality, presentation, funding potential, and whether I would personally give it money. Then the tables will turn. I will draw a card from the nonprofit deck and tell you how I will make this company profitable. You will judge me on originality, presentation, profit potential, and whether you would personally be a customer, and we will play this game until I tire of it. Do you have any questions? No. Very good. All right. I invite you to select your first card. Lime scooters. Lime scooters. So, of course, if you've you've been following the news, you know we have a lot of scooters here in San Francisco, and you can uh, use your phone to rent them, and it costs like two dollars to go four blocks, or I I don't know. But it's been very controversial because they just started, they showed up everywhere. And now there's a bunch of regulations, uh, but people are very excited about them, and they they're it's like a two billion dollar company now. But is there a way to make that a service for the community? Do any thoughts come to mind, Tiffany? I think of perhaps treating it like public transportation and mm. not some private thing. Maybe having like actual schedules for renting them, um, renting them, or you know, discounts for senior citizens and like ones that are accessible or whatnot. Like I don't know, like adding boosters to wheelchairs and things like that or something. Yeah, I mean, we've already seen like <laughs> some cities have given people credits for Uber, like effectively yeah. turning Uber into public transit or a component of transit. Maybe cities could uh, start giving scooter credits. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, could a big nonprofit just say, we think scooters are so important, we're just going to put like a thousand around them on the streets and we're going to help people get from place to place? I think they could, but they'd have to work with government some kind of way. Because I think about my hometown. Like, I tried to ride a bike around, almost got hit. So it's like people have to, like, be used to seeing people on something that's not a motorcycle, but not a car either. So right. it's a public sentiment kind of thing. I'm sort of getting the feeling you don't think this would make a great nonprofit. No. Okay. That's good. That's fair. That's <laughs> no. totally fair. No. I design these games, and I'm ultimately <laughs> responsible for all of the ways that they break. Now I will choose a card. And the first card I've chosen is the Red Cross. Nice. Now, the Red Cross famously takes blood from people and assists them in emergencies, and they do that as a nonprofit. But what if they could make a little bit of money? Now, hear me out. Uh First of all, blood. Giving it away? That seems strange to me. Blood is very valuable. I mean, look at what Peter Thiel has been able to do with blood 
investing in companies where they take younger people's blood and inject it directly into them to sort of help preserve them. That's a very valuable business. So I would like to see the Red Cross get into this kind of uh, vampire-like technology uh, using all the blood that they have around uh, the the warehouse there. Uh, and I think they could make a pretty penny and then use that money to help out during disaster relief. You know, so you sort of have the you have the weird part of the business, but then you have the good part of the business and everyone feels good about it. And that's my pitch to make the Red Cross a for-profit enterprise. Yeah, nice. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, so... So you said points and presentation. Well, and, so, okay, so, we're not going to okay. judge me yet because okay, okay, I want to do. I want to do. Let's do. <laughs> why don't you draw another card? Okay. Because you didn't love the first one. No. Oh man. So okay. Vine. Ooh. We're resurrecting something. All right. So Vine. The of course there was a six second videos and people loved it and and Twitter owned it and then Twitter shut it down and made a lot of people sad. Is there a way to bring it back as a nonprofit? Yeah. Um. It kind of was one from the start. <laughs> yeah, but in, like, in the sense like, that it never made a profit, yes, it was. Unfortunately, but I think it could be a, a communications infrastructure, basically. Like, you know, treating it like a phone service. I kind of go toward that, because I guess my, my bent is like, just, of course, doing things government does. Um, so I look at it that way. So how would you make it a, a non-profit? Like, sort of reimagine it as a, a almost like a public utility? Yes, and have it be something that maybe they're... You can go stand in public at a telephone pole or something and record a message to people. Talk to your doctor that way. And like, I don't know, like, um, it, it, it could turn it into like something medical based maybe then. So like you have telemedicine, but it's through Vine and like you just kind of send your doctor quick vignettes about what you're doing and like kind of how that goes. And maybe like, you know, if, you, if you've if you been to the doctor recently, like you send these six second checkups or whatever. <laughs> and then like, I don't know. <laughs> I love this. I have never thought of Vine as a potential telemedicine nonprofit. It, but I'm getting really into this now. Yeah, because you could just send if you have a rash, you could just send a quick little thing about Wait, it. Wait, how'd you find out about my rash? Yeah, I, I asked you not to mention that on the podcast. Oh, oh. But, <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, Casey. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> my one question is: If we did it this way, would there still be a way where people could record like really funny six-second clips that we could share with our friends? Yes. Okay, good. Because that's important to, to me personally. Laughter is good medicine. It, some say it's the best medicine. Actually, it's not the best medicine though. If you ever have tuberculosis, don't treat it with laughter. Treat it with medicine. Awesome. All right. Now that means it's my turn to do one. Nonprofits. And my card that I've drawn is the Boys and Girls Club. Now, you may be familiar with the Boys and Girls Club. Youth all around the country come to a kind of community center, and there are volunteers who will help them uh, sort of play sports and hang out and play board games in a, in a, in a safe environment. Uh, but as you may have noticed, they're not making any real money off of that. So how do we change that? Well, number one, I think we could charge a really nice entrance fee to these boys and girls. I mean, these boys and girls have been getting a free ride for a long time. What if it costs, I don't know, 10 bucks a month? Basically a Netflix price. Hey, if you can pay 10 bucks for Netflix, you can pay 10 bucks to come to a community center. And look, we, we're going to put some of these profits right back into the center. We're going to play, maybe do some uh, some some video game, maybe some new video game. You ever go to the Boys and Girls Club? The video game's there from like 1986. All right. The Boys and Girls Club. First of all, if you can donate to a Boys and Girls Club in your in your neighborhood, they need new video games. But hey, if it's for a profit, doesn't matter. We'll just buy the video games for them. And then uh, most of my ideas around video games for the Boys and Girls Club. I don't know what else they need there. Maybe uh, computers. Um, 
what else? Internet access, classes on, I don't know, SAT prep. Anyway, uh, I think there's a lot of money in the Boys and Girls Club, and that's my final answer. Excellent. What do you think about that idea, Tiffany? Any uh, potential there? Yeah, I think it's a great idea. Um, (laughs) I think it would... uh, Maybe people would come more consistently because they've paid or something. Or maybe yeah. not. I don't know. The gym. I think about that. Uh, no, that's true, too. Yeah. No, that would be great. Because, I mean, people would kind of be able to say that, you know, I really like going here and I want to contribute to it that way. Exactly. Like, take your allowance and do that. Yeah. And look, I so. want to be clear. Like, we'd have scholars. I don't want this to be an exclusive club. I want everybody to be able to come to the club. What I'm saying is, if, you know, mom and dad have a few extra bones laying around, maybe kick in a bit. Yeah. I'm sure this is already happening, the Boys and Girls I'm going to get so many outraged letters from the presidents of local Boys and Girls Clubs for this terrible idea <laughs> that I have proposed <laughs> on this show. I'm probably going to wind up having to formally apologize for ever suggesting we take the Boys and Girls Club private. Hey, listen, Boys and Girls Club, you do your thing. I think you're doing great. I'm just saying, hey, you know, maybe there's another business in here somewhere. And with that, before we have to cancel the podcast, is the end of the wildcard round. Now it's time for... The scores. Tiffany, on originality, look, I got to give you a 10 because I don't know one other person that would have say reinvent Vine as a telemedicine app. Fantastic. Presentation, also a 10 because, again, you said we should turn Vine into a telemedicine app. So I'm just hugely in favor of that. Funding potential. This is the big one. You know, I think there was a lot of funding potential in there because everybody wants to ride a scooter and everybody wants to use Vine again. And so, I mean, if they did a Kickstarter for Vine, you know that's going to raise a couple million dollars. So do it for real. I think you're looking at good funding potential. Giving that an eight. And when I personally donate money to these apps, uh, the answer is 100% yes. I'm giving you a 10 as well. So you have come out of the wildcard round with 38 points. But first, you must judge me. So... And do, do not spare my feelings, okay? You just let <laughs> okay. me know what you actually think. We right. Only real talk in this room. So, originality, go. So, for the Red Cross, um, yeah. that would be kind of amazing. Uh, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, I'll give you a seven Fantastic. for that one. Presentation. You were very enthusiastic about it. Thank so, you. <laughs> Red Cross one, at least. Um, yeah, because I think about, yeah, people talk about Peter Thiel and the whole blood thing. So, yeah, that would be great. That's uh I need a numerical score. I'm sorry. Uh, six. Six. Wonderful. Profit potential. <laughs> Probably a 10 because Ooh. people would pay for blood. Right? Like, pay for, uh, what else? So the other one was. Uh, Boys and Girls Club. Yeah. That one probably like a six. Hmm. That one would cause riots. <laughs> so <laughs> if we if we take the average of those two things, that would be an eight. Yeah. Uh, and then finally, whether you'd personally be a customer. I would hope I wouldn't have to be, but sure, I would buy someone else's blood. And then Boys and Girls Club, I would send my kids there. Wonderful. So we'll give me a ten for that. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Wow, I talked you into that pretty easily. That was that was nice. Well yeah. done, Casey. All right. So now it is time to calculate the final scores. <laughs> Tiffany, in this game of Converge, you scored 75 points. Ooh, and good. I scored 31 points, oh, making dear. you the winner of today's game of Converge. I congratulate you on Thank a hard-fought you. victory. <laughs> 
This was very fun for me. Did you have fun? I did. Excellent. Dying laughing off the table <laughs> <here>. <laughs> That's what I like to see. Yeah, it, unfortunately, it's a, it's an audio show, but there were many times where Tiffany was laughing and trying not to laugh into the microphone. And so we're actually going to go back and we're going to add in the sound of you laughing because I want people to think that I'm hilarious all the time. going to be uh, the laugh tape for now. <laughs> there you go. Any final words for, for Silicon Valley, uh, something you want people to keep in mind, or maybe just a place where they can go if they want to find out more about the human utility? Water is a human right. People should be able to come here safely without having their kids taken away. And you can check us out and donate towards someone's water bill at humanutility.org. Boom. There it is. Tiffany Ashley-Bell, thank you for making content with me. Thank you. That's today's show. My thanks to Tiffany Ashley Bell. Tiffany, while you may have defeated me today, I can assure you it is not water under the bridge. Instead, it is a gathering tsunami of revenge that I will spring upon you at an inconvenient time. Thanks to my engineer, Jeremy Dalmas, and my editor, Andrew Marino. If you like today's show, uh, could you tell someone about it? We are coming up on the end of our first season, and if you'd like to hear more Converge, we could use your support. How's the show going so far? I want to hear from you. I love hearing from you. Thanks to everyone who sends emails to Casey at TheVerge.com, including Diogo Santos, who writes, I don't see Converge as only a technology podcast. The variety of guests, together with the way that the conversation is led, it becomes something of a culture and sometimes motivational show. Thank you, Diogo. I'm glad that I can sometimes motivate you. I'm Casey Newton on Twitter, and you can tweet about the show using our hashtag, Benghazi. If you want even more of me in your life, I write a daily newsletter about social networks and democracy called The Interface. You can find the link at my Twitter bio. And until next time, the Convergitron 5000 is closed. Game over. This episode of Converge is brought to you by Republic. Republic lets anybody, anywhere in the world, invest in promising new startups with as little as $10. You may have that in your wallet right now. Go on over to republic.co and you can help crowdfund a startup becoming an angel investor in your own right. Republic believes talent is evenly distributed, but opportunity is not. Go check it out at republic.co.